0: And from Race of One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. The Inner Kingdom. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Most people imagine that the Inner Kingdom, as Jesus described it, it lacks the fascination they attribute to the sense life, the bright lights, the diverse attractions, the joys, and the laughter. Little do, they know, little do they realize what a vast universe exists in their own selves. There are many passages in the Old Testament and New Testaments of the Bible that describe aspects of the inner kingdom. In the book of Genesis, we read, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil this garden was in no earthly place, it existed even now in the very self of every human being. The legend of Adam and Eve is allegorical. It describes how the first human beings dissipated their spiritual energy centered in the spine. The spine is the channel through which flows the river of baptism and the spiritual life. The Bhagavad Gita tells us the wise speak of an eternal Ashwata tree with its roots above and its branches below. The tree of life, spoken also in Genesis, is the spine. Its roots are above in the brain's energy. Its branches are the the outward-spreading nervous system. When the sap, which is to say the energy, flows downward, the consciousness is drawn into delusion. On the other hand, when the energy is drawn upward in deep meditation, the consciousness is drawn towards its eternal source, God, and is at last attuned with him. Krishna, in the Bhagavad Gita, therefore, urges his chief disciple, Arjuna, to embrace the yoga science, the path of meditation. The yogi, he says, is greater than the ascetic, greater even than the followers of the path of wisdom, Jnana Yoga, or action, Karma Yoga. Be thou, Arjuna, a yogi. For those who would find the divine truth, Krishna gives this description of the yogi. A steadfast a lamp burns, sheltered from the wind, a steadfastly meditating, solitary. Such is the likeness of the yogi's mind, shut from senseless storms and burning bright to heaven. Thus, through, thus, through holy scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh.
1: To welcome you all to Sunday service, my name is Atman and this is Bhakti Marg. It's our pleasure and joy to share this service with you. Especially wanna welcome those who are here at the Expanding Light for the women's retreat or the meditation retreat or personal retreat. And also all those who are with us uh, throughout the world online. So let's continue with a reading from Whispers from Eternity. These are prayer demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. Bless me that I may know that I am dreaming, even though my senses tell me I am awake. As we rest in sleep, wake in the morning to our daily round of desperate seeming but only half conscious activity, then fall back to sleep again at night. So also do we pass fleetingly from birth to life to death again, waking ever and again in new bodies, dashing about our appointments and other commitments, delighting them in them, or groaning at their importunity, then finding ourselves forced to leave everything at death's death's next summons, dream after dream of ceaseless earthly struggles. On the sleigh of incarnations, we find ourselves sliding by hopes and disappointments, victories and failures, fulfillments and disillusionments. When the smooth snow of easy passage melts and the underlying ice of insecurity breaks, we find ourselves plunged into heaving seas, eddies of gay, then desperate laughter, sargassos of cloying involvements, vast calms of indifference. Ah, all only dreams. When at last I awoke in thee, I discovered that I'd been dreaming all along. I'd only thought I was awake. this world, it just seems so real. But the scriptures tell us, well, maybe it's not so real. We wake up every morning, it's the same body, it's the same bed. We're interacting with the same people. It's the same sense of linear time. Things are fixed. You can't walk through your walls. (laughs) (laughs) Sunday service starts at 11 o'clock and you have to be there at that time. It's just all so fixed and so real. But the mystical teachings of the scriptures, of the Gita, of the Bible, some of which we talked about here just hint or open doors for those that can see and those that can hear open doors to a completely different, vast reality. We talk about here, the tree of life, that there's a central column, a central nervous system, the tree that's pulling energy from the cosmos up above. It's going outward through all these nerve channels and chakras and energy centers. And there's cosmoses floating within cosmoses and astral bodies and causal bodies and universes. And it's just, it's thrilling. It's just incredible. So why is one so real? And why is it so hard to get to the other one? We'll talk about that a little bit. Yogananda loved to tell a story that's uh, indicative of how things go in this world and it's about the sea frog so there was this frog who lived by the sea and he would swim in the vast ocean play in the waves and then come out and haul himself out on the sun himself on the sand in this vast expansive sunny open area and one day he heard chirpings or croakings from some of his brother frogs that were nearby and in a well. So he said, oh, let me go see what they're doing. So he hopped over to the well and he looked down in there and he saw this small well covered with frogs. They were jumping around and pushing each other and hopping about and they called up to him and said, oh, yo, homeless, derelict frog up there. What are you doing? Come down, join our home. We have a wonderful society here. You can come down and be part of that. And the sea frog just looked down and said, Ah, uh, nay, 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 I don't think so. And so he hopped back to the beach and started enjoying his sunshine again and swimming in the sea. And then he thought, oh, my poor brother frogs stuck in that little well, maybe, maybe I can help them. So he hopped back over and this time he hopped in, landing on the back of some of the frogs and the king well frog came swimming over on the backs of some of his slave frogs and said, <laughs> What are you doing? Why do you come down here? Welcome. And he said, and the sea frog said, well, I've come to tell you of a different reality of where I live. He said, do you live? Where do you live? Do you live in a well? How big is your well? He said, no, no, it's much, much bigger than this one. Much bigger. How big is it? And he jumped a foot. Is it that big? Is it one foot across it? Nay, 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 nay. It's much bigger. And he jumped two feet. Is that big? He said, nay, 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 it's much bigger than that. Then he jumped all the way halfway across the well. He said, is it that big? And the sea frog said, no, I'm sorry. It's much, much bigger. And the other frog puffed up and was starting to get angry and looking around and making himself bigger. How can it be bigger than this? And he jumped all the way across the well. He said, is it that big? And the sea frog just laughed again. He said, no, it's much, much bigger. It's sextillion times bigger than this well. And this, the well frog just sort of looked at him and couldn't believe him and got very angry and started swimming about and churning up all his brothers and his slave frogs and his society frogs. And he couldn't believe it. And the other one persisted and he said, let me tell you about this. And for several hours, they had this conversation about what it was like, the well that the sea frog lived in. And finally he prevailed and the king frog jumped out of the well and looked around and behold, he was on the beach in the vast ocean where he wasn't on top of all the other frogs. It was just a oneness and openness. And the story shows that it's, someone has to lead us out of our little well of delusion, that it's not always easy to find a way to see out beyond that. And we're really fortunate at this time in in the ages that there's more and more information out there and more and more channels for the divine that are telling us to wake up, to giving us a glimpse of what it's like in these other places. And I'll never forget when, uh, when I was first coming onto the path and I was practicing yoga and I went on a retreat and the leader of the retreat just mentioned, oh, there's, you know, I, I have some books. This was mainly a Hatha yoga ashram, although we, we, we were meditating as well. But she said, oh, I brought some books that you might wanna look through during our break time and I picked up one of these books and it was quite an old book. And I think the author was Better or something like that, but it was a book on the chakras. And there were these plates in there, these, they looked like photographic plates, but they were, you know, very well done colored plates of what the chakras looked like. And this was from the inner knowledge of this person had then created these conceptions of the chakras. And it was just, they were beautiful. They were, you know, these rays of colors coming out. And he had really captured the sense of energy and this pulsating ethereal sense of what was inside it. I said, I just remember being so thrilled to see this go, wow, this is inside of me. You know, I, could, I could know this. And then, you know, I started getting more and more into yogi, yoga. And then of course, many of us, I probably most of us in this room have read the autobiography of a yogi. And how does Master start out on the title page of the Autobiography of a Yogi? He quotes the Gospel of Saint John, and he says, "'Except ye see signs and wonders, ye shall not believe.'" And then in his book, he gives us, he gives us many things that just show, give a glimpse to where a consciousness that he lived in. For example, you know, he's as a little boy, he's meditating on his bed and all of a sudden, the light, flash of light, and he sees the Himalayas, and he sees meditating yogis, and he sees Ishvara, Ishvata, the, the just the divine light. He has experiences with saints who live nearby him, the Master Mahashaya, who he intercedes for Yogananda and says, you know, please have the Divine Mother come, and the Divine Mother comes and says, appears to him and says, always have I loved thee, always will I love thee, he goes on pilgrimage to search out other saints to Tadakeshwar and what happens he, when he finally finds the saint, he can't sleep because there's lights and cosmic lightning and flashes happening. And you know he just is filled with this incredible joy and ecstasy. And he, when he goes back by the stone at Tadakeshwar, what happens? The stone opens up and sees all the rings of the universes of the worlds, just into infinite space. And of course, the experience of cosmic consciousness that's given to him by his guru and that, that masterpiece of mystical literature, the poem Samadhi, and you know, we read this book and we go, wow. I mean, I think most of us in this room were probably touched by that. And you go, this is for me, you know, I want this. I don't want this ego. I wanna, I wanna experience these things. I wanna see saints. I wanna experience my chakras. I wanna see divine light. I want Samadhi by Christmas. (laughs) And so we launch ourselves onto the spiritual path and what happens? Well, (laughs) it's not quite as easy as it was in the autobiography of a yogi, or you don't always see those things right away. And, you know, the passage in that we read today gives us a little bit of a clue to that. It's not enough to just say I don't want this ego anymore. I want to be, I am divine. I am, I will experience that divinity. You also have to know a little bit. You have to say, okay, what's happening here? How is this energy flowing in my body? How do I make this work? How can I get past this? And you have to look at what the reality of this spine is. And as it says, there's a, there's a tree of life and it's gathering energy from above and it's coming down and it's going out into the branches the many-leaved branches. Well, what are all those little branches? All those little branches are our sensory attachments, our connection to the material world, our duality, our pluses and minuses, our pleasures and pains. And what we have to realize, Yogananda said there's two reasons mainly why, why it's so difficult or why it takes some time to get out of this. And one is because what happened before you were born, and the other one is what happens after you're born. So what happened before we were born? Well, this gets into a little bit of what they're talking about in the, in the scripture here, the, the allegory with Adam and Eve. So we've come through many lifetimes of the animal kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the, the plants. We finally got up to a human birth and the human vehicle, the human nervous system, the human body is especially adapted for finding God. You can't find God through the other bodies or plants as, a, as a, the other bodies of animals or plants. You can't, plants don't realize God. Neither do most of the animals. Maybe dogs accept it. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you, have to, you have to look at where, you know, we've been through millions of lifetimes and what's been happening to that energy. And in the allegory of Adam and Eve, what happened? They moved into this wondrous vehicle, this body where energy could flow up a central spine that it would come in from the cosmos, immediately be united back there and not be dissipated outward, except they were drawn down by subconscious remembrances and some scars of where they were in the past, of how they lived in the animal kingdom. And that energy started to move outwards instead of the divine creation and union of upward, it started to move out into duality, the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what happens to us. That's what happened to us as people, as, as people in human bodies, as souls in human bodies. That energy started moving outward. And how many lifetimes has that been going on? How many habits? How much karma? Karma is just our past actions, those habit patterns. What's happened to us during all those lifetimes? That energy just keeps flowing, flowing, and it takes a bit. To redo it, not just the thought, I want to be, I want to know these divine realities. It takes a little bit to move to change that reality. Master had another story that he liked to tell that shows some of the difficulty of doing this. And it was about a rich man in, in uh, who liked to entertain, and he was a little bit of an alcoholic. He he liked his drink. And he had a very vast selection of wines and liquors that he enjoyed serving to his friends. And, One day, a holy man came by and started talking about the spiritual path, and he was engrossed. He was bitten by that. He said, yeah, that's for me. And the holy man said, you know, on the spiritual path, you have to leave behind some of your things in this outer world, one of which would be drink. So the man says, okay, no problem. I can do that. I'm in control of myself. I'm leaving behind the alcohol. So he told his servants that, lock up the liquor downstairs and you keep the key and you only get some when I have some guests and serve my guests. So his guests would come and his servant would come and bring this and he would serve them and he would not partake and just abstain. And then he said, you know, that's a, quite a bit of a bother to have my servant go down and keep it locked up. I'll just keep a few bottles up here. So he had some in the cupboard on his, up in his living room and he would, you know, he would have the servant serve those. and. And he said, one day, you know, the servant wasn't there. He said, oh, you know, I'm in control of this. I don't drink anymore, and so I will serve them. So he took the bottles, and he would serve his guests, and they would drink. And and he said, well, you know, I better make sure that it's okay that I'm serving them. So he would, you know, he would take a sip and say, yeah, that's fine. I'm not drinking. No, it's just a little sip, and he would serve his guests. And... Then he went on and said, you know, it's, it's a little bit rude of me to be serving my guests <laughs> and not drinking with them. What will they think of me? And, you know, I'm not attached. I don't have any problem with this. So I can just take a little bit of a drink. And so he'd drink a glass and be with his guests. And next thing you know, he was back drinking again, all the while saying, I'm not attached to this. I don't have any problem. I'm not, there's no problem with me drinking. But that's what happens. Those habit patterns, they're deep. Yogananda said it takes five to eight years to reverse the energy of a deep seated, difficult habit pattern. So we have to continue to work on that, to continue to, through the grace of the gurus, through the grace of God, through our own willpower to help change that energy and start bringing it from flowing outward into the leaves, back into the trunk and up to the top. So what happens after birth is the other part of it. Well, I I think, you know, this society is not in general set up to further the spiritual path, to to uh, reinforce those spiritual realities. It reinforces material realities. And especially we come in from the astral world and we've had a glimpse of what it's like, what it's, what's beyond this physical body. And we come into a new incarnation and here and our, our parents are there and they're Oh, they're just worried about trying to get us to eat and to you know be quiet and go to sleep. And you know, it's a fairly materially driven existence. And there's a, a wonderful story that Swami shares that I'm not sure if it happened here, but it was some friends of his related it to him. And it was a couple who had a young son, and then they had another son, and the baby came and the baby was growing up in the nursery. And at one point the first son said to them you know, I'd like to talk to my brother alone. And so the parents were sort of, hmm, okay. And they were afraid a little bit of maybe some sibling rivalry or something going on. So they wanted to make sure that this was going to be okay. So they sort of hung back by the door. And the first son went in and went over to where his brother was. And he said, he's kind of leaned down and he whispered. And he said, tell me what it was like. Tell me what it was like on the other side. I'm beginning to forget. (laughs) This is a true story. So, you know, the children have that, but it's so much is reinforced. And then, you know, guess what happens? Puberty happens and hormones kick in and where's our energy going? It's right down there at the base of the spine and that strongest of uh, delusions, the sex delusion going outward. And so it's, it's not necessarily uh, an easy thing to get past all this. And, you know, sometimes we have some disappointments and we're you know, we didn't reach samadhi by Christmas, and we start to fall off the path a little bit, and, you know, it's so real, these sense things, it just, it seems so right, you know, it's its they're there, why would God give us these pleasures if it wasn't, you know, meant to do this, and you start getting drawn back out into these things, but, you know, there's one thing that uh, Swami said that I was reading that really touched me, and he said, you know, you're here we are loving the material world and we're sending our love outward into material, largely insensate, unconscious things. And they couldn't care less. The material world couldn't care less about our love. And it's unrequited love. Nothing ever comes back from that. We don't, there's no residence there. It doesn't, it isn't what we're looking for. But if we start moving toward the divine, if we start giving our love toward the divine, what happens? The divine actually reaches down and meets us halfway. It gives us the power to become, to give us that power to reach up higher, to continue on that spiritual path. So that that resonance is there. It it knows that we're reaching down and it's, we have to realize that 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 is what we are looking for and that all these other things, we're just going to get beat up. It's the wave that comes up, the wave goes down. We're feeling wonderful, successful of joy. Next thing you know, we're in sorrow and despair and bankruptcy and then we move into another life and we do it all again. It's just an inevitable up and down and duality is just going to beat us up, this ocean of delusion. And at some point, a critical point on the spiritual path for all of us, a very, very necessary point is when we realize that it's only God is going to give us the answer that we're looking for for happiness. Nothing else is going to do it. And again, it's something that we can know intellectually, that we can start moving into, but it's something that as we go through more and more experiences, as we come back, it's something we have to come back to. We just have to hold on to said, "Yep. What are my choices? Yeah, this might be hard, this might be take a long time, but what are my choices? Nothing else is going to give me the happiness that I'm seeking. And once you've realized that, that's the attitude that you need on the spiritual path. That's the push that's going to keep you going. And at that point, we're almost there. You know, even if it takes another couple incarnations or 10 or 15 incarnations or 100 incarnations, it doesn't matter. That realization has come and we know where we're going. And we've now also, Know how to get there because we've also been given true teachings. It's they're out in the world. We don't have to be hidden in the Himalayas. The, the teachings of Kriya Yoga, of many very valid paths, are out there in this age of Dwapara Yuga. And as it says in the very end of this reading today, you know, it tells us what we need to do. The yogi sheltered is the flame, sheltered from the wind, sitting steadfast. We need to be in meditation. Meditation is the key. The right attitude and then the meditation. And what do we need to do in meditation? We need to be aware of how energy flows in our body and what's going on, that most of it's going out into these leaves of sense activity. And so the first thing is you sit to meditate, stop that. Just say, I'm leaving this all behind. I am not going to think about my job, my spouse, my kids, my, what I'm having for breakfast. I'm leaving that all aside. I'm just going to focus on God. And then the other part of meditation is to gain sufficient control of that energy so that it can come inward, and that we actually cut off those sense telephones, as Yogananda call them, that we're not still getting this stimulus from the outside world. And we can do that by focusing deeply, by withdrawing the energy, by practice. We can pull that energy inward. So cut off what's going on in the mind, shut down the sense telephones, and that energy will flow where it needs to go to. So I just wanna end with a thought that, you know, back to the autobiography, we all wished that we had had, or could have, or will have, and we will, those experiences that Yogananda had, but that's not really important. I mean, there are people, uh, you know, Master and Swami tell stories. There was some person who came to a meditation for the first time and was with blessed with, a divine sight, they were seeing through walls. They were perceiving the inner flow of energy in people. That was the first time that they were meditating, one of the first satsangs they came to. What happened? They didn't come back. They didn't join the path. They said, oh, well, that was kind of nice, you know. That was it. So it's not the phenomena. The spiritual path is not a circus. It's, you know, we're not out there looking for that. What we're looking for is that inner divine communion But it also helps. It also helps to have something to hold on to when that pull outward is strong. So all of us have had some experience of the divine, of it be a sense of deep peace, of joy after meditation, an all-pervading love that goes beyond any kind of personal love. That's the real. That's the inner kingdom. That's more real than what looks real to outside. And hold on to that. Just be aware of it, hold on to those experiences, and when the winds buffet you back and forth and you're floating out there lost on the sea of delusion, just grab on to that. And the other life raft, of course, is the guru. So just hold on to the feet of the guru and just ask for help, just keep lifting that up, keep offering and say, I'm doing the best I can, there's a lot to do here, I need your help, and we will arrive at the goal.